Good morning and welcome to True Talk. This is your host, Samar Jarrah. My co-host uh, is uh, traveling and will be home soon. I'm supposed to have a very interesting show for you today. I'm still waiting for the gentleman to join me via Zoom. So enjoy this music uh, and uh, please be patient.
and welcome back to True Talk. This is your host, Samar Jarrah. I am uh, supposed to be joined uh, by a renowned uh, Palestinian uh, British um, doctor, surgeon, uh, but for some reason uh, he is not able uh, to connect. I was supposed to be talking to Dr. Ghassan Abu Sitta, who uh, was able uh, to fly into um, Egypt and uh, go to Gaza around uh, October uh, 7th, uh, October 9th. But um, I'm still waiting for him uh, to join. Um, I don't like to announce about my guests because this always happens uh, that people uh, sometimes have technical uh, issues. So I'm waiting and uh, please be patient uh, uh, with me. At the same time, technology is uh, uh, amazing. Uh, we are able now to transmit uh, live uh, to my Twitter feed and also to my Facebook feed. And uh, hopefully uh, in the future, we can also transmit to WMNF feed and WMNF uh, news uh, feed. So it's amazing how one can reach so many people. And again, for those who are joining us live from the rest of the world who are not familiar with WMNF and not familiar with me, my name is Samar Dahmah Jarrah. I am originally a Palestinian born in Kuwait, uh, but uh, I have lived in America for almost 34 Uh, years and uh, about 20 years ago my co-host Ahmed Bider who is originally Egyptian and uh, American he came I think when he was seven years old so Ahmed and I started this uh, live radio show in uh, America and whenever we tell people it's a live radio show people assume it's in the Arabic language no it's the English language and this very unique uh, station WMNF is supported by the listeners So there is no advertising. You cannot have um, gigantic, uh, rich companies dictate on the uh, the um, the administration or the journalists or the reporters who report uh, from WMNF uh, to do any editorial editing or any uh, taboos or to tell us, for instance, you can talk about this issue or that issue. And of course... Well, we can talk about the Middle East and the Arab world and issues related to the Muslim world and wars and, of course, about uh, Palestine. This is a very unique type of uh, stations. Um, they don't exist all over the world and they don't exist everywhere, even in America, because uh, it has to be uh, financially supported by the listeners. The listeners, uh, maybe twice a year, uh, there is a fund drive and they are uh, they, they contribute uh, money. Uh, it can be um, as little as $5 or $10 and it can go up to $1,000 or $2,000. So Ahmed and I don't get paid uh, to be uh, on WMNF. Uh, we just um, volunteer uh, once a week. Uh, it's an hour, uh, almost an hour. I think it's 50-some uh, minutes. And we try to bring as many people from different parts of the world uh, to talk uh, about uh, issues related to the Arab world. Um, most of the time, unfortunately, there are either wars on uh, Muslim countries or Arab countries, and we uh, concentrate on these. But also sometimes we talk about culture, we talk about food, we talk about music, we talk about novels and stories and poetry. And uh, because I just mentioned poetry now, 
I am sure our listeners in the U.S., you remember that uh, maybe about uh, uh, the first week uh, uh, after uh, October 6th, I can't remember which Thursday it was, uh, I had just landed uh, in Egypt and um, Ahmed was here in the studio and Ahmed was able to uh, talk to Rifat um, al-Arir, a poet that we had several years ago, if you can remember. He was in Gaza and uh, we were disconnected several times because of the uh, issues with the internet. Uh, But this last war, uh, which is still going on in Gaza, um, Ahmed had better connection than me and he was able to talk to uh, poet Rifat al-Ar'ir. Sadly, uh, he was uh, killed, uh, he and his brother and his sister and three of the uh, his nieces and nephews. I think they were the children of his uh, sister. Uh, some uh, uh, say that he was assassinated for his uh, uh, publicly writing about Palestine. He had a PhD uh, in English literature. And I think what was beautiful about his poetry and about his work is that he uh, taught young people to write about Palestine, to write stories, simple stories, and they were published. And I also remember that many years ago, we had several of his uh, students on WMNF. So WMNF and through talk, really, we bring a very uh, nice variety of issues and topics that we talk about. But unfortunately, Rifat al-Arir was uh, assassinated or was killed, um, I think, uh, less than a week ago. And, you know, he has a Twitter handle, doesn't have many followers. It was 32,000 people in less than 24 hours. His poetry was being streamed all over the world. And um, he has more than 107 or 8,000 followers. I'm going to try again and try to connect with uh, Dr. Uh, Abu Sitta and see if there is a way I can get to him. That's my mistake for not getting his phone number, only the email and the Twitter handle. Listen to this amazing music. And again, if I don't get to talk to uh, Dr. Uh, Ghassan this time, maybe we can open the phone lines. Ahmed and I have not done that in a long time. If you have any comments about what is going on in uh, Gaza and the human toll and the fact that the U.S. is becoming more and more isolated and it's not really uh, uh, helping um, uh, with uh, uh, bringing on a ceasefire. So listen to this music. This is WMNF 88.5 FM. I'm going to try one more time uh, to get my guest...
Welcome back to True Talk. This is your host, Samar Jarrah. Let me try and um, make you listen to the press conference uh, that Dr. Ghassan uh, gave uh, about uh, a, week, a few weeks ago uh, when Al Ahli Baptist Hospital uh, was uh, bombed. Uh, this is uh, from Gaza. Listen to this. This morning, when I drove into the hospital, I noted how full the hospital courtyard was with families who had sought refuge inside the hospital, thinking that it would be a safe haven. It's these very same families who are now either dead or critically wounded as a result of this attack. This is a core crime that the world has seen coming. Israel has been warning the entire world that it was going to attack Palestinian hospitals and it did exactly that. Every Western politician who has declared unconditional support for Israel's war effort on the Palestinian people has their hands, has the blood of these children on their hands. That unconditional support is what led us to this massacre. The impunity that Israel believes it has from its Western allies is what has led to this massacre. No other country feels the impunity to target hospitals and get away with it. What happened today is a war crime. And if the Israelis get away with it again, then more war crimes will be committed and more hospitals will be targeted. So you just listened to uh, Dr. Ghassan Abu Sitta. Again, let, uh, uh, this was immediately after the blast at Al-Ahli Baptist uh, Hospital, uh, which uh, really is uh, quite... Uh, a catastrophic uh, event that took place. Uh, the Al-Ahli Arab Hospital is a very, very ancient one. It was uh, uh, built in 1882. I think at the time it was the Ottoman uh, Empire that built it and it was managed by the Episcopal Church uh, in Jerusalem and it was bombed twice, October 14 and October 17. Again, the number here is 813-239-9663, 813-239-9663, and the email is dj at wmnf.org, dj at wmnf.org, and the number here is 813-239-9663. We'll be taking your uh, phone calls. Uh, I'm sure that uh, many of you listen to democracy now and listen to um, uh, NPR news and they keep talking about the human toll and uh, people ask me in the Arab world, you know, I can write in Arabic and I can uh, tweet in Arabic. Uh, why aren't uh, more American, for instance, uh, not uh, pressuring uh, the White House and not pressuring the State Department and not pressuring uh, the, um, you know, the representatives, for instance, to to bring about a ceasefire? And um, 
the polls out there, if you look at the recent polls, it tells you that more than 68% of Democrats and more than 68% of people in general in America, they do support uh, a ceasefire. But, uh, uh, and I keep trying to explain that uh, it doesn't matter. You know, most Americans didn't approve of the invasion of Iraq. And uh, the uh, Bush didn't even get the uh, approval of of the uh, Congress, he used a certain um, 911 kind of uh, emergency law to be able uh, to do it. However, didn't get the approval of the UN, uh, but uh, they, uh, the US went to war in Iraq after uh, September 11. It took more than nine months to try and convince people that this can uh, be done. So I keep trying to explain to people that, uh, you know, uh, because the U.S. cannot is not changing its foreign policy, it doesn't mean that the Americans are not working hard, are not demonstrating, are not visiting uh, their representatives. Actually, yesterday I got a very interesting uh, number of photos from uh, women only who went and met the reps in Washington. I would say that one third of the women uh, were Arab or Muslim and the rest were Americans and many uh, were uh, Jewish. I'm still trying. Again, this is WMNF 88.5 FM and we are talking about what is going on uh, in uh, Gaza and I was supposed to be getting Dr. Hassan Abu Sitta. I have no idea what happened. I hope he is okay. So let me take one more break and keep trying uh, to get him on WMNF. Again, you can call, you can say, uh, you, I can ask questions if you have comments, uh, if you have uh, ways people can help uh, with uh, changing the mind of the administration, please call 813-239-9663. 813-239-9663. This is WMNF Tampa.
and welcome back to True Talk. Zain, again, <laughs> again, the uh, email here is dj at wmnf.org and the number is 813 uh, People are starting to call. Again, let me say the number very slowly. 813-239-9663 and you can text to 813-433-0885. Let me go. Good morning. You're on True Talk. Yeah. Hi, Samar. Um, Ali, I'm talking from Tampa. Uh, I want to thank you first, you and Ahmed, for this great show and opportunity to actually, you know, listen to different views of the conflict. Um, I have a question for you. So, um, as a Palestinian American, you know, I'm trying to, you know, uh, have my voice heard, you know, and also have the Palestinian narrative, um, you know, at least be heard online. But as a, an American citizen, what do you think I should do as well? Like, how can I influence my government to change its policy? I think you need to find out who is your representative, uh, whether in the local government in Tampa or uh, the mayor, for instance, or in uh, Washington, D.C., and try to visit them because they do take uh, time off and they do pay attention to emails. So I think you need to be corresponding, but not only via email and letters. I would really suggest that you visit with them. Uh, it makes a big difference when they see Palestinians in flesh and in blood. It, it may, uh, no pun intended here, but it does make a difference because the image of the Palestinian, I mean, if you watch TV, um, there is hardly any humanization of Palestinians. Uh, there are hardly any a depiction of Palestinians who are not, uh, for instance, uh, in the resistance. Um, so I don't think your rep has ever met a Palestinian. Uh, so why don't you go and uh, take an appointment and take a few people? The people don't have to be all uh, of Palestinian descent or Arab descent or be uh, a, a Muslim. You know, you can. I'm sure you have friends who care about Palestine and might be interested in going. Uh, but maybe what also you need to do, I always believe in the idea of giving books. Uh, now it's Christmas. It's about uh, gifting people. Uh, I love to g give people novels, for instance, like uh, uh, novels written by Suzanne Abul Hawa or poetry by Rifat Al-Arir. Uh, all of it uh, is available on Amazon. You can gift it to them as a Kindle, as an audiobook. It makes a difference, uh, Ali, to kind of let people see not only the images that they see on TV, not only about politics, but there, there, is, there are stories of olive harvest and olive trees and oranges. Um, I would suggest that you do that. Do you have friends that know anything about Palestine? Um, they know from, of course, what I tell them and also from, you know, searching some resources online. Um, and also, I mean, now the younger ones are, you know, looking into TikTok. This is where they're getting most of the information now. But do you recommend, I mean, can you like just share like a list of, you know, recommended books to send? Because I like this idea of sending my friends and people that I know, uh, you know, stories um, that humanizes Palestinians. Uh, on uh, uh, Mornings in Janine, I think this is a book by Suzanne Abul Hawa. Al Hawa, A L H A W 
A. Uh, and I am sure if you go to online and you say novels about Palestine and pick the ones that are written by Palestinians and names that you know. But there are really books written by um, non-Americans, uh, sorry, non-Arabs or non-Palestinians that are good. But I would start with uh, books for Suzanne Abulhawa. And then um, I think there is one, um, many uh, for... Uh, like young people and young adults. I'm sure if you go Google, uh, you will find these uh, resources. But the only thing I can uh, think of is uh, a book, Stories from Gaza, um, um, Mornings in Janine. Um, if you want something political, I think we did an interview with uh, Dr. Rashid Al-Khalidi or Al-Khaldi, and it was the Hundred Years' War on Palestine. This for people who are interested in knowing a little bit more of why um, the question of Palestine was not ever uh, addressed or solved. Uh, I think that book, a hundred years, the hundred year wars, the hundred years war on Palestine, would be a good book to start with, because it shows that it was part of the colonial domination of the Middle East, uh, and it has nothing to do with what uh, media try to uh, propagate these days. So I would suggest these things, uh, but maybe we can put it on the um, the website, or uh, I think you can just Google it. I hope I, hel I helped you. Okay, yeah, I know. I like this idea a lot, especially like with the holidays now. Yeah, now it's Christmas. It's the best way to give novels uh, as gifts and books. Thanks. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, again, this is WMNF 88.5 FM and the number here to call 813-239-9663. We had a question, what can one do? Especially if you are a Palestinian or Arab or Muslim or American, I would say. What can you do to help uh, Palestine? Let me go to Fred in Tampa. And again, the phone lines are open. Uh, Fred, you're on the air. Hi, yeah. Uh, I'd like to hear an analysis of each move. So any mistakes that Hamas might have made first and then any mistakes since then that they kind of like strategic military analysis. Okay, Fred, maybe I should bring somebody who can really better address uh, these uh, issues because I do not have any military background. Let me uh, play this segment. It's important about the usage of phosphorus uh, weapon and uh, bombs in uh, Gaza. And again, this is WMNF 88.5 FM. And listen to uh, this uh, uh brief on what was used, what weapons were used on the Palestinian people. My contacts in, uh, at MSF, who arranged for me to travel to Cairo on Sunday and they may get across the Sinai Desert uh, in a car uh, to get into Gaza with the feeling that usually in these conflicts there's a small window at the very beginning that you can use to get in. On arrival to the Gaza Strip, I went to a family house, uh, but within half an hour, um, the whole neighborhood had been uh, telephoned by the Israeli army and informed that particularly the um, tower blocks behind the house that I was in were going to be targeted by the Israeli Air Force. They, almost the whole neighborhood was in the street trying to run away. Um, I then moved to another uh, house and we were pinned down that night um, because of the severe bombing. 
in the early hours of Tuesday morning, when there was a lull in the fighting, I managed to go back to the damaged uh, building that I had evacuated and pick up my suitcase and then walk to Shifa Hospital from there. And from there on, I joined the uh, plastic and reconstructive surgery team at the Burns unit at Shifa Hospital. During the, my time at Shifa Hospital, it became apparent that 40 to 45 percent of all the wounded were going to be children. That there were uh, the primary target of the bombing was people's residential homes, and that we were getting multi-generational uh, uh, um, patients from the same families in each uh, uh, air raid. Most of the injuries initially were blast injuries, and these were severe soft tissue traumas, severe facial traumas, multiple fractures. And then, as time went, we saw the introduction of incendiary bombs, where the patients would have um, over 40% of their total body surface area burnt with no other injuries. And by the time Shifa had collapsed, there were over 100 of these patients at Shifa Hospital. And we started seeing phosphorus burns. I had treated white phosphorus burns in the Gaza Strip during the 2009 war and was very familiar with the very characteristic uh, injuries and burns that they, they make. Um, as a chemical burn, phosphorus burns burn right through to the inner core of the body uh, and only stop when they have no exposure to oxygen. And so the burns would be, the patient would be basically puckered with burns that core right into the ribs, the bones, um, and unlike thermal burns that spread from the surface more horizontally. We also started to notice uh, the increased use of fragmentary missiles. Patients were coming in with very unique injury patterns. In normal blast injuries, the wound edge is covered with soot and is burnt, and there's a lot of rubble, dirt, uh, clothes, metal, inside the wound. These wounds were very clean cut. Unlike blast injuries where the amputation happens at the weakest part of the body, like the joints, these patients were having guillotine amputations in extremely tough parts of the body, in the mid-thigh, where you have to work your way through all of the muscles of the thigh, and the, um, uh, the, uh, the thigh bone, the femur. Um, and they had serrated edges, as if what they had been hit by was a sore. Really Let me take more phone calls. Again, the number is 813-239-9663. 813-239-9663. Richard, you're on the air. Oh, hi. I, I'll make it brief. The American people are afraid to speak up. Helen Thomas, the, uh, a journalist, uh, White House uh, 
lost her job speaking up about Palestine. So, uh, R- Richard, you're afraid that if you speak about Palestine, you will lose your job or you... We'll lose our job, we'll lose our benefits. The deep, if any politician that speaks up, they will be... They, the sword of uh, the Zionists will come down on them. And okay. it's it, it, it's unbelievable. But do you do you watch and follow the news, and you are uh, upset with what is happening to the humans? It's genocide. It's pure. Have you have you read about Palestine and Gaza before, or yes, yes. I, I I mean, even Jimmy Carter said it was apartheid. It's apartheid. Horrible. Did you participate in any of the, um, I don't want to say a demonstration, but for instance, on 56 and Fowler, I think uh, sometime, many times uh, the uh, there were like people carrying flags and uh, chanting for uh, to stop uh, the, the war and ceasefire now. And I think also they went on downtown. There were many, many events uh, going on in Tampa. Have you ever That's seen? Or- and they, you, you put a mask on and hide your identity because they'll take your photograph and they will stop you from if if you're getting social security benefits or if you're getting other kinds of benefits they'll take them away there's no free speech in america this Ah. is uh i mean all the people that any person that has spoken in favor of the palestine people will will be uh, uh basically uh lynched um it's a very horrible situation. How a small minority like the uh, Zionists who uh, seem to control a lot of the media in America, they have total control. And that's why I'm just addressing the question that you said before about why people don't speak up. Because American people are afraid to speak up. And oh. that's okay. my opinion. Okay, Richard, I thank you, but I think that the, I, I would not go uh, uh, all the way to believing that they can take Social Security and uh, all that because we sweep, uh, speak up in WMNF and Democracy Now! and so many Americans are really in the streets and uh, yes, they get uh, arrested when they occupy uh, offices of the reps uh, in different states, but uh, I don't think their social security can be taken away of them. And really, I do disagree with the idea that uh, the Zionists control uh, all media. Um, there are people who really uh, are not necessarily Zionist or are not uh, Jewish, but do uh, really like the idea of uh, wars and uh, bombing people. And they might not have anything to do uh, with the um, with uh, Zionism. It, it's a, I'm sure WMNF, they always play democracy now. The WMNF always puts uh, shows that talk about uh, the media and why our media are so biased in general. Like when I came to this country about uh, 34 years ago, I thought that, uh, you know, there was a problem with uh, fat black women. Uh, and I don't say this in any uh, bad way, but, you know, I was young and just moved here and I was watching TV and it seems that every problem has to, they have to show me a fat black woman. They're talking about abortion, they're talking about healthcare, they're talking about whatever, uh, everything you would find somebody who is not white and uh, not very attractive looking. And I thought that this was a problem. And I used to fear 
uh, you know, I, I hate to say this, but this is what propaganda does to people, not only in America, but outside America. I thought, uh, you know, African-Americans are the reason why there is crime in America. Then when I moved here and I started um, studying and did my master's and the thesis advisor was an African-American professor. And I used to ask him, you know, why would somebody who lives in the Arab world have this idea? And he told me it's, it's hitting you from different angles. It's not only the news. Maybe when you were watching the news here in America, you see it more. But if you, it's from Hollywood movies, it's miniseries, it's the way things are portrayed. So you can use that and reflect it on minorities in America and different uh, groups, especially minorities. Um, uh, so, um, Richard, I don't feel that there is a monopoly over uh, like our movie industry and our media and designers are controlling everything. No, thank God they're not controlling uh, everything. I think the issue is a little bit larger than that uh, because, for instance, uh, my biases were directed toward a minority group that I have never met in my life until I moved here and lived here. So um, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Again, it's 813-239-9663. I want to continue this uh, disturbing, actually, conversation or um, a press conference by Dr. Ghassan, who I hope he is safe and okay. I'm still waiting for him to join. I'm not sure he hasn't contacted me yet. But again, he is here giving a press conference uh, as soon as he left Gaza. This is WMNF 88.5 FM, and he is continuing the talk about the different kind of injuries that he dealt with as a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. By the day four, day five, half of my operating list, which was around 10 to 12 cases every day, starting at eight or nine in the morning and finishing at one in the morning, uh, were children. Um, my estimate is that there are now between 700 and 900 children with amputations of limbs, um, in some of whom multiple uh, limbs have been amputated. On one night uh, at Al Ali Hospital, I performed amputations on six children. At one stage, when there was a call from one of the plastic surgery teams further up north uh, at Lauda Hospital, which is an NGO hospital where MSF has a, a base and a, and a unit there um, in Jabalia camp. I moved to um, uh, Lauda Hospital from Shifa. Um, on the third day that I was there, and in front of me, I witnessed a phone call by the Israeli army to the medical director of the hospital. And he was informed that unless he um, evacuates the hospital within two hours, the hospital was going to be targeted. Um, of course, that was not going to be possible, first of all. Um, the job of the hospital is, is only to leave once all of the population is left. And two, that there were many patients that were too difficult to move. Um, we evacuated this, the patients that were, had been operated on were recovering from their injuries and I moved back to Shifa um, to rejoin the plastic surgery team there. While in Shifa, the number of burns and the number of pediatric injuries were increased, 
one of the most horrific scenes that I witnessed in Shifa Hospital was when after the air raid and the, the, the dead and the wounded were brought in, members of the Shifa medical staff and nursing staff would be running frantically in the emergency department, looking at the faces of the wounded and the dead to see whether their relatives had been uh, amongst the wounded, and in many cases their children had been amongst the dead and the wounded. At what one point, one of our colleagues, uh, Dr. Midhat Saidam, um, while at work, his sister came with her children because they had been forced to evacuate their home. He decided to just take them to his house where his other siblings were uh, taking refuge. And a few hours later, he was killed along with all of his siblings and their children. His children and his wife were buried under the rubble and were only saved 24 hours later. Dr. Midhat Saidam became one of many doctors that were killed and we discovered after I came back and after the ceasefire that another member of the plastic surgery team, a nurse working at the Burns unit, was also killed with his brother when their house was targeted. At what point the discussion was with Ahli Hospital, because of the overwhelming pressure on beds at Shifa, we had over 2,000 wounded in a hospital that had a bed capacity of 600. The decision was that I would move to Al-Ahli Hospital, which we felt was safe because Al-Ahli Hospital, as you all know, is owned and run by the World Council of Churches and managed by the Church of England here. On the morning uh, uh, of the massacre uh, at Al-Ahli Hospital, I moved by ambulance from Shifa Hospital to Al-Ahli. Al-Ahli is the oldest hospital in Gaza. It had at some stage been called the English Hospital because it was housed and it was the hospital in which British soldiers during this, the First World War were treated. And it was full of plaques that families of British soldiers had dedicated to their uh, loved ones. When we walked in to the hospital, I could notice that what had ha been happening in Shifa was happening at Al-Ahli Hospital. The, uh, the hospital was turning into an internally displaced camp. There were lots of children and families in the grounds of Al-Ahli Hospital. I went, I saw the patients, made a decision uh, whom to operate on, made a list of 10 patients that needed surgery that day and another 10 that needed surgery the following day. And around, five, uh, around 12 o'clock that morning, we had a visit from the CEO of the hospital and the medical director, Dr. Maher Ayad. What had happened in the days before is that also Dr. Maher Ayad had received a phone call from the Israeli army, ordering him to evacuate the hospital. A day later, when he didn't, two the Israeli drones fired two missiles at the fence of the hospital. And then he had received a second phone call from the same officer berating him for not having evacuated and telling him that unless he evacuated, the hospital was going to be hit. The reason why the, we had the visit from the management team is that we, they told us they had been in touch with the bishop in London 
and that he had received reassurances that we could carry on our work. By five o'clock, I had made this decision that I needed to operate uh, into the night and start early in the morning. And we, I, upon discussion, we made a decision that I would stay over and continue working at Lali. Later on that evening, between having wheeled out one of the patients and we're about to bring the next patient in, um, and there had been in the few hours before a lot of bombing around the hospital and you could kind of feel it shake. Um, there was an almighty whistling sound coming towards us, kind of indicative of missile, and then a huge explosion. If it, it was obvious from the size of the explosion and the, um, the damage that it was either at the edge of the hospital or within the hospital, the false ceiling in the operating room fell on top of us. Luckily, I wasn't uh, injured and I walked out of the operating room into a corridor that you could see the forecourt of the, uh, of the hospital in, where the families had be I'd seen the families earlier on. The ambulances were on fire, uh, um, some of the cars were on fire, and the forecourt, which had been lit by that fire, was uh, um, full of bodies and parts of bodies. Let me take a break here from the press conference by uh, Dr. Abu Sitta and read a few emails that uh, I got and text messages. Again, you can send the emails to dj at wmnf.org. We have about uh, six minutes. Let me read uh, this text message. I would like to say the international solidarity movement is a good way to get involved and they are currently in need of new volunteers to resist ethnic cleansing. Masafir Yatta and throughout the entire West Bank and East Jerusalem, thanks for your deeply important contributions. Uh, this is a text uh, message. And uh, David uh, says the semantics may bother the right wing, but they agree with the idea of the Muslim caliphate. I'm not sure what David means, but... Uh, I have another uh, email, uh, Dave here. I do take part in protests. I call them protests because I object to the uh, genocide and he means the genocide happening in Gaza. Aida, Aida is a friend of mine. I'm so not afraid for anyone to know I support Palestine and I believe in BDS. Uh, BDS is the abbreviation for boycott divestment uh, movement uh, in uh, I think if you just google BDS you will find it I have another uh, message from who's this uh, Charles uh, Charles says I'm waiting for the I want to thank you for this program I get educated with each week there is a lot of frank talk and glad it's the way Wish a lot more people listened. I have been appalled at the U.S. media coverage on the destruction of Gaza. It's time for a ceasefire, but the war machine turns on, hoping after all this carnage, a two-state solution is achieved. What started in 1917 has suppressed one people and promoted the other. It's time for both uh, to be supported by the world. I am horrified that they bombed hospital. What is their pur purpose? 
um, hoping one day the world will find peace, but our species won't let that happen since someone has to be on top of the world. Uh, this is again from Charles. Charles, I need to maybe disagree with you. After visiting uh, the occupied territories, I can tell you there is nothing called the two-state solution. It's impossible to happen. Uh, there is no way because you have maybe... Um, almost 700,000 settlers uh, live on Palestinian land, confiscated Palestinian land, and they live uh, on uh, these uh, lands uh, in the West Bank, in the occupied West Bank uh, in Jerusalem, where supposedly the state, the Palestinian state is going to be. And let's say uh, they find a way to solve this issue because these settlers have to have protection and have their own highways and they take over the hilltops and water uh, and uh, leave uh, almost uh, nothing for the Palestinians. Then the West Bank is disconnected uh, from Gaza where the rest of the Palestinian state should be. So I think this idea of two-state solution has been promoted uh, in a way to delay uh, any uh, liberation, uh, any uh, attempt to solve the uh, Palestinian question. So there is, they just, they've just worked on the roadmap and two-state solution and it doesn't work, trust me. Uh, it's, it's impossible to happen, but also there is the issue of uh, right of return. Uh, what about the Palestinians? Like my mother was born in Palestine. She was more, uh, born in a city just north of Gaza. It was swept into the uh, state of Israel. What about my mom? The, according to international law and according to UN resolutions, Security Council resolutions, my mother should return. And I'm sure if you're listening to uh, the Israeli uh, people in power, you know that this is not on the table. So this is why Palestinians don't really think the two-state solution is a viable one, is a doable one, or that they agree with it. Because what do you do with the Palestinian refugees who live in refugee camps uh, or in homes uh, in Lebanon, uh, in Syria, in the rest of the world? What happens to them, especially the ones who were born there? Uh, for example, like my mom. So imagine um, I can visit uh, I can visit uh, Jerusalem uh, simply because I have the American citizenship, but uh, my mom does not, and she cannot uh, go and visit uh, her homeland where she was born. So that's uh, Charles. Thank you for your email and for your uh, nice uh, words. But again, maybe you need to read more on the idea of the two-state solution because uh, I don't think Palestinians uh, do like it. And um, I think we're nearing uh, the end of the show. I really have to apologize that I wasn't able to get uh, Dr. Ghassan Awusitta to be uh, um, with us. I hope he is okay because, uh, anyways, I hope he is fine. And there is a very good reason why he couldn't join us. But again, um, thank you for supporting WMNF. And, and thank you for supporting True Talk WMNF Tampa. The scoop is next. It's produced here.